You're listening to This Is Personal, Rewinding a Life with Dan Simon. So I had these two voices. So I think that's maybe where it came from. It probably came from my mother saying, you know, you can, you can absolutely do anything you like and you should really move forward. But I then knew, yeah, but secretly I know I really can't. So because I had this other mm. voice that was so strong. So I think that's possibly where it came from. Uh, and, uh, but I do know it was always there and you know, one of the things that I think this voice kept me back from is it because these voices tend to keep you safe. So it tended to help me or cause me to make decisions where I didn't get out of my comfort zone. So I took very small steps. Now, in my early 20s, I suffered in my through my 20s, I suffered really, really badly from anxiety. Okay. Uh, and it went right up into my early 30s. Uh, really, really bad anxiety. And again, it, it came out of the fact that it was very much related to I'm not good enough. I can remember, and I said, I think there's a two-sided marketplace here of deeply experienced professionals and then early stage companies, company founders, often younger company founders who don't really know how to build a repeatable sales process, don't know how to, how to real build culture and HR, don't know how to do finance and tracking, don't know how to fundraise, don't know how to run operations. I can connect them with deeply experienced people and together they could, they could really make a company hum and actually double or triple their chances of success. Welcome to This Is Personal, Rewinding a Life, a podcast about people's personal journeys of discovery and recreation. I'm Dan Simon. We dig deep to understand the essence of each guest. How did they get to this point in their life? We all have stories to tell about our own lives that help the rest of us realize who we are and what we could become. As a life coach, I've always been intrigued by the stories people tell. What were the trials, tragedies, and triumphs they encountered while navigating through life? There are no mistakes in life, only experiences and lots of contrast. If we can have compassion for others, can't we have the same for ourselves? That's always been my personal mission, to remind people the truth of who they are, to remind them that they've done their very best. In each episode, that's what you'll find, a beautiful soul doing their best to create a life that's fulfilling and rewarding. On today's show, we go down under our first interview with a native Australian. Mike Smith is going to tell us all about his upbringing in Brisbane initially, then in Sydney, and his transit to the United States. But most importantly, how one single event that happened when he was four and a half years old affected the entire arc of his life. Very interesting in how he had an epiphany that changed all of that only three years ago. It's really a, a great and an inspiring story. So let's get right to the show. Today we are with Mike Smith from Down Under. Mike, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks, uh, thanks, Dan, and uh, and glad to be here with you talking today. And I've got to tell you, you are our first uh, first guest from Australia, and uh, Australia okay. is, is uh, one of my favorite places. I spent uh, quite a bit of time there uh, back in 2011. I've been there a few times, and uh, it's just a, such a uh, in some ways, so uh, 
uh, some ways on the East Coast is kind of similar to the U.S., maybe too similar, and then so many other ways it's complete, completely yeah, different. Yeah, there's some similarities. Yeah, the East Coast has some similarities actually to the West Coast of U.S., but you're right, uh, some similarities, but also a lot of differences. Uh, so I'm, I'm sure we'll get into some more of your uh, upbringing in, in Australia. Sure. But to, to start off, Mike, um, why don't you tell our audience, if you had to meet somebody and tell them, who you were, who Mike Smith is, and maybe six sentences. What would the six sentences be? Wow, that's a that's a great uh, a great question. Um, six sentences. Starting out as a person who in Australia who sort of always felt that I had this potential, but it was secret. You know, I was going to do amazing things, but it was secret. So someone who held themselves back, uh, despite that, uh, this voice in my head keeping me safe, despite that still had what I think is a pretty amazing career. I worked with a professional services firm and worked in Australia, worked in the UK, worked in the US a couple of times, moved family around and um, you know, had, had an amazing experience. And then I guess in some ways, um, an epiphany. And the program I did really helped me delve into the, uh, I guess, the voice in my head and the true potential I had. And, uh, and out of that came some, some pretty amazing steps that I took. Uh, one of them is a result of being fired and uh, I think led me to where I am today, where uh, I'm, I'm really sharing a lot of my story. And I think really is, as I really see going into the, to the second half, and I see that of, of my career, second, a second stage is, uh, is, is doing what I think is some really interesting work. And uh, that's where I am today. As, just as a side note, uh, how long ago was it that you had this epiphany? I think it was uh, three years ago, maybe four years ago. Okay, not too um, long ago. Not, not too long ago, actually, yeah, not too long ago. And um, finally got to grips with why this voice in my head was telling me, in my case, telling me I was not good enough. But I used to strive against it all the time. But really, in the end, letting it have its way much of the time. Not an uncommon story for uh, uh, most men in most cultures, I don't think. I think it's right. I think... Um, uh, the program I did actually, the program was with an organization called Landmark. Right. And uh, you may know of it. Sure. Um, but there's a number of sort of programs. Tony Robbins, I think, really has the same type of approach. And I hear that Tony Robbins actually went to Landmark many, many years ago, but I'm not sure how much that really influenced what he was doing. But certainly this idea that uh, what what happened in your past is sort of interesting information, but it absolutely does not determine your future. That you right. can you can make yeah you can decide you can make decisions about a new possibility you can create using landmark speak if you like. And so long as you take action to bring that idea or that that new thing you create to life, is you truly can create a new experience for yourself, a new opportunity, a new direction, and you are absolutely not bound. Um, by your past and that uh, often we are limited by some sort of internal voice which protects us it's, it's a old device that, that well and and you know i want to get into more of your story but 
you know, the, 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 the point I'll make from my side is that that old programming is insidious and can be very, very difficult. It's not something you just, you solve logically, even if you understand it, it's a, quite a challenge in terms of reprogramming. It is, it is. Well, the first thing is to realize that there is a voice there that is not like that's not you it's not yeah it's not me it's it's actually separate from me and it's really only a thought and because it's only a thought and i, I might get into an analogy that someone spoke to me about which i think is very powerful when i talk to others about this now which i do is that it's only a thought and because it's only a thought you can change your thought you can change the way you think about this and it's not actually hardwired even though it feels like it is it's actually not, it's not a physical hardwiring, right? It's a, it's a, like a mental. Wiring. And you also have the, the option of actually not listening to the thoughts because those, those thoughts will probably continue coming up. I, I don't know if you've read, read the book, The Untethered Soul by Michael Singer. I talk about it fairly often on the show. Okay. No, I haven't touched on that one, but I have but, touched on others. Uh, but you might find it very interesting because it's, it's, his premise is the same. And again, there's a lot of people saying things that are, that I've said things throughout time that are pretty similar and, you know, and most of them we ignore or they don't resonate or it's not the right time. Uh, but he basically said that, uh, you know, you can, most people go through life following the voice in their head that says what you're supposed to do, how you're supposed to yep. be, how you're supposed to act. And he made a decision in his life um, to, to ignore the voice and just deal with the situations that came up. If somebody came up and said, I'd like you to start this company, or I'd like you to help this mentor, this person or something, even if he didn't want to do it, he said, oh, I guess there must be a reason the universe is presenting this opportunity to me and I'll do it anyway. Mm. And the story of the book, uh, both this, The Untethered Soul and the book after that's called The Surrender Experiment, which is actually the autobiography of how all this stuff happened. Mm. Is fascinating but um yeah absolutely you don't have to you don't have to listen to it you can make a choice and do it differently but you can yeah and it's you know it depends what works for different people dan some people just don't listen to it some people the voice is so strong as it was for me i do i do find i needed to replace it with another not replace it replace is the wrong idea because it it's also um it can be a problem if you think you can erase it because it's this it's actually we are sort of programmed to do this our our prehistoric brain our subconscious brain developed over tens of thousands of years to to keep us safe uh in the early times when man was around and that's how it developed so it's actually it's very much ingrained in the subconscious to keep us safe so for some of us we need to replace i certainly need to replace it with a new set of thoughts uh, just to take priority uh, and and let the voice sure. be there. I got to recognize, yeah, it's there. That's interesting voice. Thank you very much for your opinion. Now I'm doing this. That's the way it has cool. to work for me. Cool. Uh, All right. Now I need two. I need two more sentences about oh, Mike. Oh. Oh. Okay. What about me? Um, I'm I'm somebody who has empathy uh, with other people, and uh, but I think in past times often had difficulty understanding how to, how to actually express that and to bring that to life. And so, so part of it has been a journey of discovery of how I can actually act on that 
empathy and become someone who's pra practically a more empathetic person and can get into the other person in a, in a, uh, in a meaningful way. Um, what else? Um, I think, I think I, I've, I'm someone who's also discovered about, uh, about the importance of being a lifelong learner, something that I've, uh, I'm seeing through various programs I've come in contact with. How am I doing? <laughs> You're doing great. We're all done with that. You've given me a lot of, a lot of ammunition to go, to go forward okay, to good. the rest of the podcast. Thank, thank you Fantastic. very much. Um, Fantastic. Uh, tell me about uh, growing up in uh, Oz, and you told me earlier that you grew up in, in Brisbane, which is one of my favorite cities. Yeah. Tell, tell me about life uh, uh, growing up as a well, in Australia. Um, <clears throat> we grew up, my father had a, a business, a, um, he was in the advertising business, and he had sort of several boom and bust times. So, you know, early days for us was sometimes living quite well and sometimes living to the point where the family had not much money and basically they moved out of rented apartments and then sort of had to drive to the next city to find another job. So it was pretty hard. My father also, he actually grew up in the, I guess the Australian version of Mad Men. Do you remember the series that came out a few yep. years ago? Yep, yep. My, my dad was a madman, but he was a madman in the Australian version of Madison Avenue. So he was like that. So he was developing a, several advertising agencies and i think he very much got into the into the drinking part and he became an alcoholic and uh, i think that that's so although i don't remember him physically drinking i think the the impacts uh the, the instability that caused and the issues that caused in the family i can still remember that and the disruptions so we i grew up in in brisbane for about seven years uh the business my father had started when bust and I remember you know we basically got into the beat up old I guess in those days like a 57 Chev Australian version thereof and yeah drove down to Sydney and I can remember the car was so beat up it was a, a stick shift a manual shift and you had to use a house brick sometimes to get out open the hood and bash the gear stick down so it would actually get back into first gear again I mean <laughs> so, I remember. so it was pretty basic and we came back and lived in my dad's parents apartment that so my grandparents had a two-bedroom apartment in sydney and so this family of now five people moved in with uh, my grandparents too so that was uh, like four adults and three three or four children living in a two-bedroom apartment for a while because my dad was then trying to get himself re-established and then i remember the hot water system broke down so we had all these people in there in this apartment with no hot water like all these things, all these amazing things happening. So it was very, I guess and, in some ways. And like, Mike, you were like seven or how old were you? Like seven or eight at that time? Yeah, seven or eight years old. And uh, I eventually became the first of seven children. And uh, but even by that stage, I think there was two other children and, and another baby arrived while we were living in the two bedroom apartment with four adults and three or four. Wow. The baby arrived there and yeah so it's sort of you know i don't remember it being chaotic specifically but it must have been chaotic and i think it it actually caused me to withdraw into myself and i became a very private person from that and i do know while we we're in brisbane there was a particular incident that occurred uh that i moved to my 
to, to the back of my memory I forgot about, which is the incident that caused me that voice to come out, which, which was with me for most of my life, the voice that kept on saying, you know, Mike, you're really not good enough. You know, you're not as good as the other person. So just remember that. And it sort of held me back from taking risks and held me back from, uh, you know, doing uncomfortable things. So what was the, what was the incident that caused that? Well, it was interesting. It took me a while to realize it. Uh, but his, his event was, was uh, we were living in Brisbane. I guess I was maybe four and a half, five years old. And I, I was going to preschool. And my mother put me on a bus. So at this stage, she probably had at least two other children, young children. She put me on a bus. I don't think she had a car and told the bus driver to drop me off at the preschool. So I was only, I wouldn't have been more than five, uh, maybe younger. And uh, what happened, jumped on the bus, sat down, the bus driver forgot about me or didn't put me off. I ended up taking the bus ride to the end of the bus route. Uh, then we moved into the bus depot and I hang, hang out there for a while with various bus drivers and then still time went on and eventually the bus driver took me to his house. And I remember having like milk and cookies in his house and sort of the feeling and I can even feel the emotion well up in me as I talk this story through is that the feeling I had then was, wow, nobody came, nobody cared about me like don't they care that i've been all day and i did not miss me at school my mother didn't miss me so maybe i'm not good enough like and that and i and i i, I had that feeling hmm. and i parked that in there and i i realized later that what our brain does my four and a half year old brain had to come up with a reason why this had happened because it must have been a bit traumatic for me become a reason why i was there so the reason my brain invented was i mustn't be good enough for someone to come i remember that and i parked that in my brain i then forgot about the incident but i but that feeling i remember was something that you know i'm not good enough and i remember most scenarios i would always say oh the other person's better than me better than me in sport better than me in whatever whatever discipline but at the same time i had this feeling of but i know i could be really really good and one day it will come out at the same time but i held myself back so that's where it came from so on that day when did your mother finally pick you up do you recall I, when, how it finished i actually don't recall all i recall is the feeling of being left that's all I really require. I must have been there. I was obviously reunited. I have no real recollection of the reunification. Re it was all about the feeling of being left, the feeling of nobody came, the feeling of, oh, I mustn't be worthy. I mustn't, no one must care about me. No, I mustn't be good enough for someone to even miss me. So uh, that's what I remember. It's funny. I don't even remember the end of it. Hmm. And, and it is amazing because there are so many different stories that I've heard. I heard one on a podcast recently about uh, a young girl that got her grandmother, they were in church and her grandmother hit her on the head with a brush because she was talking or something. Mm. And ever, ever since she got hit on the head with a brush, there wasn't anything to be mean. It was just, oh, you know, be quiet. Mm. And she got this idea that I can't talk. She lost her voice, that there's, I got to keep my mouth shut. Wow. So it, it's um it's amazing how 
how these things can happen that have have uh, an effect for for a lifetime and uh, when did you when did you actually become cognizant that this was an issue for you it well i always had this feeling all through my life and really only in this time about sort of about three or four years ago when i was looking at doing this program and it was the landmark program where they start to talk about the fact that many of us have um they talk about voices in our head i think uh, i think tony robbins calls it self-limiting beliefs you know the expression in different ways and i looked at that and i said wow I, I i know i have this voice in my head but i have no idea where it came from and uh although in the landmark case they say it's beneficial to actually go back to the time and sort of relive it sometimes people can't and it's not really necessary but but sometimes it'd be really helpful so it actually took me several months before this thought came back and this memory came back and I said, Oh my God. And I knew there was something there because it's just like, I, like I mentioned before, Dan, while I was talking, I could feel the emotion come up and I said, wow, there's something about this event. And, uh, I then did a, a session with another coach who uses, um, hypnotism. So I did a, a, uh, a session under him hypnosis where I actually went, back she actually took me back to that time and we actually walked through the event and it was like i was sitting above it watching it happen in real time and with the idea of just questioning okay is this why you think you're not good enough and sort of that helped a bit although it didn't totally get rid of it i mean it was so dan it was so hardwired in me it was it's, it, it took me a long long time to really see that this was the brain of a four and a half year old that was making up this story and this voice and not anything real. Well, but you know what? It is real. And that four it's and a half me. year that four and a half year old is still there. Yes. Oh yeah. You know, you can't say, well, I'm not uh, I'm not four and a half anymore and it doesn't apply because when you had that sensation of being abandoned and and you're not able to help yourself. You know, you're not, you're not, you're not self-sufficient at, at that age and you're dependent right. upon adults to take care of you. And when they all disappear mm. and, I, and I had a very similar experience, you know, a little bit, a little bit different, right. but that feeling of abandonment uh, and helplessness um, is, is always going to be there. Cause that, 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 four and a half year old doesn't doesn't disappear and actually needs to be comforted that the, you the adult can take care of it today mm. that it's that it's not there but we revert to with that conscious awareness we always revert back to that programming when you're when something else comes up that could look like you're going to be abandoned or you're going to be left or you're going to get screwed or something mm. you know it's amazing how powerfully that feeling can come up and then you you react to it Oh yeah, it's amazing and, and very, it, was, it took a long time to sort of counter it and, and to, to, to convince myself of a, of a new narrative about what I was capable of and what I could choose to do. And it's still, even today, it's still there uh, and uh, I have to deal with it quite frequently. And the good thing is I have, I have sort of the muscle memory now to deal with it. So right. I can deal with it pretty much instantly, but it still comes back. And 
And I think anyone who has this, it's not about totally eliminating the voice because it may never be eliminated. It's a matter of just treating it for what it, what it, what it is and realizing what it was, where it came from. It's okay, you know. One one person I talk about used to talk about. Oh, that's interesting information. Voice. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> okay. Thank you. Okay. I'm yeah. And, here now. Yeah, but it's so. It's like when you take it out of the basement when you don't realize that the importance or that or, or, or why you're having the feelings that you're having, um, then that really controls you. When you take it out of the basement and you can have self awareness. Mm. Then you then you have the opportunity to use some tools, and you know probably that's what Landmark taught you, or some tools about it. But uh, yes, you know, there, there's nothing that you can deny. There's nothing you can pretend is not important anymore. You know, there's probably nothing more important than than what happened to you then. Mm. You know, it wasn't a. I wish it wouldn't have happened. I wish it would have. You know, none of us have had perfect childhoods. None none of us have avoided trauma. Mm. So it's, you know, when I talk to people, whether you've had, I've talked to people that have had tremendous, unbelievable trauma that you don't even mm. know how they even survived, right. but, yeah. you know, that little small event for getting to get off the bus is, you know, for you is hugely important for you. And it's irrelevant what other people's stories are, what other people have gone through. And it's also interesting, Mike, that you had at the same time you had this insecurity that you were given you mm. also had this idea that you were capable of doing great things yes. where do you where do you think that side of it that idea came from that's a good question um i think my mother particularly even though she was so incredibly stressed at times by the children that they decided to have uh she was always someone who was very positive in her outlook on life. Uh, she she was made to leave school when she was 14 and sent off to work by her mother because they needed money. Um, and she was someone who really lifted herself up with not a very robust education. And uh, so, so I think she always was someone who who said that you were capable of good things. So I had these two voices. So I think that's maybe where it came from. It probably came from my mother saying, you know, you can, you can absolutely do anything you like and you should really move forward. But I then knew, yeah, but secretly I know I really can't. So because I had this other mm. voice that was so strong. So I think that's possibly where it came from. Uh, and, uh, but I do remember that was always there. And, you know, one of the things that I think this voice kept me back from is it, because these voices tend to keep you safe. So it tended to help me or cause me to make decisions where I didn't get out of my comfort zone. So I took very small steps. Um, although I, you know, I think I did some pretty interesting things um, and then had, had a very good you know, working career, et cetera. Uh, I think all of that, I could have gone a lot further. I could have been, you know, I could have done some, some more challenging things, uh, had some more impact, but I held myself back and I kept myself safe. So I think that's what the impact of that was. Uh, but, but somehow, as I said, it was this dichotomy of knowing, wow, you know, I know I could be great, but I, I've got to deal with this voice and the voice is real and it's probably my real existence. And that, and that, and that, that goal of doing something amazing 
is um, it's going to be very hard for me to achieve. And only only other mm. people could do that. I think it would be it's too too much of a, a strain for me. So as you move as you move through your adolescence, and um, did you gain any stability stability at all? Were things that did it get a little yeah, bit better? Or they did actually. Yeah, my father. Uh, I remember he stopped drinking and uh, he joined AA, and he became like just this absolutely beautiful, placid man. And that's what I remember mostly of him. There, that is uh, he. Uh, but but a very quiet man, very quiet man. He, I mean, his his own childhood, I think, was quite disruptive. His father was an alcoholic. His mother was an alcoholic. Um, and he discovered actually that um, the reason they got married was because his his mother was pregnant with him. So it was literally a in those days a shotgun wedding. Mm-hmm. And they and the, his parents really didn't like each other. I mean, they used to sleep in separate rooms, and uh, they used to fight a lot. And so, he had a, and they never had another child. So he he was an only child. I think he had a very very difficult upbringing, and I think he retreated into that too. And so, so maybe some ways I modelled him. So he was a very quiet man. He didn't talk much about what was actually going on, especially you know his emotional side. He was just very very quiet. And uh, so he was, he was actually hard to get to know. Um, and uh, so I, I, and I, and I modeled that. So I, I tended to keep very much, I was a very shy person, um, you know, would answer questions with one, one, you know, how are you doing today, Mike? You know, Michael, oh, good. That was it. You know, I was very, very shy and, and quiet and reserved. And yeah, that it's, went through a long it's, time. Yeah, it's amazing. To me, there's there's some work called family constellation work. I don't know if you've ever heard of that, but how the things that happened uh, in your ancestry, it can be two, three, four generations back, trauma, things that were challenges, yeah. they get passed along, and you you can have no knowledge of any of it, but it gets passed from generation to generation until until somewhere you you stop the uh, you you gain some awareness and you and stop passing it along but uh short of short of taking those kinds of actions and getting that kind of help uh it just keeps filtering down through the generations doesn't it yeah it does it does it, it absolutely one generation affects affects the next as you say without necessarily understanding all the factors which caused that situation but yeah i think i think the impacts there so i think I, as i said in my case i think i modeled my father, and um, and I think my father and my mother had a they had a difficult relationship. I mean, they stayed together, but I think it was very very difficult at times. My father went through several boom and bust cycles in business. Yeah, I remember him telling me he didn't ever want to work for anybody. Um, and uh, but I think there was some issue there. Like I think it really was is he he really couldn't work in a situation where people told him what to do. He had a difficulty with authority, which may have come from his parents and dealing with them. Sure. The only way is to be in business, but his experience in business was like boom and bust. And uh, so it didn't leave me with a very good taste. So one of the things I did is I tended to take a more, I didn't go into business. I went into an employment situation. I stayed in that in all of my career. I stayed employed. So describe describe where you were, Mike, when you finished with your schooling and university, and, yeah, did, and what what's your 
what you were, yeah. where you were going from there. So I, I finished my schooling in, um, in Sydney and uh, university there, went to the University of New South Wales, did um, you know, accounting, finance systems, sort of like uh, that joined uh, a large um, accounting and consulting firm and uh, spent you know, most of my career there. But interestingly though, uh, I got selected into a, a track to do this uh, specialist IT track, which was still relatively new in those days. And I remember one of the things I got is I got selected to go to be sent over, only working for the company for 18 months, got sent over a full expenses paid trip to the UK to be trained and to do, work on these amazing programs. And, you know, but this dichotomy still existed where I said, wow, I must be pretty good to be selected to do this. But at the same time, I, I said to myself, but I'm not really that good. And then this was pretty <laughs> much, yeah, this is pretty much the story of what I did is, a, is I was, I found myself being put in, in amazing tracks of work, but I still disbelieved it at the same time. And uh, I, so, you know, I, as I said, I had some amazing opportunities, which I was, so I tended to wait for other people to recognize what I had and for them to take the action to then put me into a program, you know, offer me something. I didn't do it myself. I didn't, I didn't ever put myself out there myself. I waited for somebody and I, and if I, if I didn't get selected for something, I would say, there we go. That proves that my voice is right. I'm really not good enough. And that's really was the story of right through my career, even though I, I moved countries three times. I got, a, got an opportunity to work in the UK for a couple of years where our first child was born, uh, moved back to Australia, moved to the US for a couple of years where a second child was born, moved back to Australia. Um, now in the 90s where the third child was born and they got an opportunity again to move to the US. Um, where in that case, uh, the children, our children did, did most of their schooling actually in the US, in New Jersey. For various reasons, they've ended up back in, uh, back in Australia doing college and then meeting partners, et cetera, there. So they're actually in Australia. Um, and, but I, I continued to work here. I really loved working here and um, uh, worked through, right through, um, you know, the 2000s and then uh, a particular event happened, which, which really jolted me, came out of the blue is, is I was fired. And uh, it was the first time I'd ever been fired from a role. Uh, every other role I'd got, I had actually got actually crazily through networking. You know, I don't think I ever applied for a job. Uh, had some amazing opportunities, but I was fired. So let me ask you this before we go, before we talk about that, you talked about progressing in your career, starting a family, and moving back and forth. Um, all that time, how would you describe your emotional state? Because when you talk about having that conflict of, of thinking I'm not good enough, but I really have something better in me and I can be great, it's kind of like driving with one foot on the gas and one foot yeah. on, on the brake. Yeah, it's kind of a lot of you're burning a lot of uh, psychic energy. What did you just were you were you feeling content, happy, distressed? No, in my early twenties, I suffered in my through my twenties, I suffered really, really badly from anxiety. 
Uh, and it went right up into my early thirties, uh, really, really bad anxiety. And again, it, it came out of the fact that it was very much related to as I'm not good enough. I can remember Dan in my teens thinking about like moving out of home and taking my own apartment. I actually told myself that I'm so not good enough that nobody would rent an apartment to me. I'm not really a real person. Like only other people would have apartments rented to them. Like that's wow. Yeah, yeah, that's what I thought. So um, that actually kept me staying at home a bit longer. And when I finally um, moved out, I actually bought my own place because I was doing really well financially. So I moved out and moved straight into an apartment that I'd bought. Um, and uh, but even there, moving into this apartment, I I kept on saying, I oh, you know I can't really own an apartment. Like wow. So it's. In a lot of cases, I was doing better than many other people and that I could buy an apartment at the same time telling me I really didn't deserve it. So this, and, it, and I think there was this real anxiety about, I really can't do this. So I would accept these opportunities to really step up to the next level in terms of job performance or role or position, but at the same time tell myself I'm really not good enough to do it. So it caused a real anxiety and a real lack of confidence. And how did it affect your family? How did that affect your family? Um, you know what? I don't think I, I didn't really talk about it a lot. I kept it very much to myself. So I, I used to, I used to persevere to it. So I used to do it. You know, I used to go to work every day and, and I, but it was, it was sometimes hell even to get through the day, but I did it. Uh, and I kept going. So I, 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 I didn't really talk about it. Um, to the family, but also at the same time, I think I, I was a very insular person. So uh, I don't think I, I, because I wasn't expressing what was really going on with why I felt, uh, I think I also didn't connect with my family members as much as I could have because I was holding myself back. And, and it's also just dealing with this anxiety was just so hard work. Uh, it, it was so all consuming. Um, and so again, I, it kept me very much insular within myself uh you know so i just used to work get the stuff done you know earn a pretty good salary uh but you know that was it i was mentally exhausted just getting that done so i think i wasn't as available as i needed to be uh with my family about the issues that they were dealing with and uh, so and were you getting any kind of professional help at the, at the time or was just all? Being uh, I did in my 20s, I did, but it's interesting. And maybe that's, it's, I really wasn't getting anything that, that was resonating. So sure. I remember reading a book, a particular book about, um, it was called Living with Fear. And uh, it, uh, it actually helped, helped that I'd learned about, um, cognitive behavior therapy and the way that you could actually deal with anxiety. And I actually put myself on my own program and did it, and actually followed what was in this book. It was written by a woman called Claire Weeks. I think it was called Living with Fear. And, I, and I've actually, over the years, I've actually recommended it to other people who've suffered from anxiety and they've got something out of it uh, in that you can actually, so I actually dealt with it myself, would you believe? And I didn't talk to many people about it. I just dealt with it and I practiced uh, exposure therapy. They they talk about this thing of, um, and I'd really recommend anyone who's suffering from anxiety to really think about this. And what really talked about is is when you feel this 
you know, this feeling of anxiety, which could come on as a shortness of breath or a tightness in your chest, or some people feel it as a dizziness, I'm going to faint, whatever, is just face it, just face it, accept it, which means let's just, okay, let it do its worst, let it roll over you and then let time pass and keep practicing this. And I keep practicing that. And um, I, it actually subsided. So by the time I got through my early 30s, it actually had subsided a lot. Um, I had it somewhat right. residual in things like public speaking. I used to found that extremely difficult, even though I used to get feedback that I was actually really, really good at it. Is I used to have really terrible times with um, public speaking. And actually, my worst thought, I remember, Dan, my worst thought was, oh, my God, what happens if I ever fainted while I was giving a public speech? <laughs> and... One day I was at a conference and I saw a guy stand up and he was giving the speech and he fainted and fell to the floor. And I realized that he'd had some illness and it was a physical thing. He just had some illness, but I said, Oh my God, look, that's what could happen to me. And I sort of reinforced, Oh my God, that would be the worst thing in the world. I would, I might as well die if that had happened to me. And uh, so I, I still had that to deal with. And it's, it's only actually only been in, in recent times that I really fully dealt with that. Uh, Interesting. So let's go in the in the time we have left. We don't have a whole yeah. lot of time left, uh, Mike, with with uh, your fascinating story. Um, let's go right to the point where you got fired, and what that did to you, and how you responded. What, yeah. what, what was next? Well, I had the the benefit of the program I've been doing with Landmark, and so I and I had been I've been at it maybe a couple of years by then. And so I really had these tools of being able to say, okay, that's interesting information. Um, that actually doesn't reflect on me. That's the company. The company made a decision um, that's actually got nothing to do with me. So I pretty much decided, you know, I have some amazing skills. I really worked that through. I have some amazing skill sets. So within 24 hours, I said, you know what? Put that to one side. I'm going to start my own consulting business. Uh, so I then spent a few days working out what that should be. And uh, I used some of these uh, abilities of working out. You know, I could create a new possibility for myself. But I did look back and I said, what do I think I'm uniquely good at? So I, I wrote that down. I decided what it was in, in business terms. For me, it was managing, helping organizations with large projects, large programs of change that were failing, getting them back on track. I looked at that's the thing I was really good at. So I decided to start networking. I had my first client within three weeks, landed my first client. I still actually have that client. Uh, and my consulting business started to move on. Um, at the same time as well, I realized that, well, at the age that I was, there was quite a number of people who were struggling finding the next role. So I started a network. Right. I called it Experienced Professionals in Transition. And I really had some heartfelt stories of, of people with amazingly deep knowledge and experience and wisdom, but really struggle finding organizations to, to, to connect with. And some of them were being really financially disadvantaged through this. But just to sort of keep it brief, at the same time, for my consulting business, I started networking with with startup companies in New York, thinking that could be a source of, uh, of my consulting expertise. And after attending a, a number of meetings there, I realized there was some consistent, and I learned about startups, consistent reasons why startups fail, a large number of them fail, 
key reason is they don't convert themselves into an operating business. And I started talking to, to startups about this networking group I had. Wow, I've got all these deeply experienced people. They could really help you in some areas where you lack. Can I connect you? And, you know, I, I, I started to realize, well, I think there's a business here. So I did some research last year and uh, looked at things like the hiring process. I realized how broken the hiring process was. I just wrote an article about that. And I said, I think there's a two-sided marketplace here of deeply experienced professionals and then early stage companies, company founders, often younger company founders who don't really know how to build a repeatable sales process, don't know how to, how to real build culture and HR, don't know how to do finance and tracking, don't know how to fundraise, don't know how to run operations. I can connect them with deeply experienced people and together they could, they could really make a company hum and actually double or triple their chances of, of success. Yeah, so I started a company about that. That's awesome. And, you know, you and I uh, met initially uh, with regard to Chip Conley's Modern Elder yes. Academy, which uh, I attended uh, in 2019. And you're going to be a guest facilitator at one of, one of Chip's programs. That's, uh, and again, we'll post all of your information and Chip's information uh, in the uh, show notes as well. But uh, I think it's just awesome what you're doing because there are so many people that are in you know, midlife that are uh, uh, looking to do things in a more fulfilling way and looking to help companies. And just as you said, there's lots of very exciting companies out there that have right. a, lot of, a lot of very young people and are very tech-savvy people that haven't a clue in terms of how to be leaders and how to uh, actually run a, run a business. They may be great at programming and with an idea, but, um, you know, that's what Chip is trying to do. And that's obviously Absolutely. what you're doing as well in terms of, in terms of utilizing the, the uh, talents of people that have had a, all these life experiences and put them together with people that need that. So uh, kudos, my hat's off to you for what you're contributing. Mike. Yeah. Thank you very much. Appreciate that. Thank you. So in the time we have left, which is almost nil, okay. uh, uh, I just want to tell you, I appreciate you sharing your story uh, with us because it's, uh, it's an important story. And uh, as I said, I'm happy to have you as our first Australian on the podcast. Fantastic. And also happy to have uh, uh, men's stories because most of the guests on the podcast happen to be women. Women tend to be more willing to share their stories, but yeah. more, more and more that uh, men are stepping forward as well uh, to tell their stories. And it's uh, lots of times that the story, the development is, uh, and the challenges are completely different between men and women. Mm, they are, but uh, you know, women tend to, to be more collaborative. It's one of the reasons, by the way, is they tend to be actually more successful in business because they, they talk yes. to each other and they're willing to bounce ideas off men. And it's, it's not all men, but, but tendency to, to want to be lone wolves and say, I've, I've got this it's worked out. I just need to get, get this to happen. So I'm, I'm heading, I'm charging off <laughs> to this and I'll leave all you guys behind. I could I want to tell. Yeah, and I I can't tell you how many mistakes I've made in my life because I thought I could do it myself yes. because I didn't need to ask help yep. because I uh, I had all the answers and uh, once you realize uh, you don't really have any answers. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Well, you heard my story as I thought I could do I could fix all this stuff myself. Yep. So uh, uh, yeah, reaching out and being 
being uh, being open, being um, uh, vulnerable, actually, is is a really really powerful lesson I've learned, and to and to talk about what you're doing, even even if you're starting a company, you know, like I think it's a feeling. Oh, I can't tell, I can't talk about my company. It's a great idea. Someone will steal it. I said no, just talk about it, and that's what I've been doing. If you talk about it, right. the challenge you're having, people will come to you. People come to you, and you'll actually be more successful if you're more open about it and you talk about it more. And the same in your personal yeah. life. Yeah, they all go together. It's all intertwined. You can't absolutely. separate them. You can't put them in compartments. No, absolutely. Thank you for sharing your story with us, Mike. And I would look forward to uh, after you uh, uh, go to Modern Elder Academy and uh, facilitate a group of uh, a group of modern elders. Maybe you'll come on for another podcast and tell love us to. about about your experience with that. And, I'd love to, uh, Dan. Very and, much, uh, and let's plan to let's plan to do that uh, next year. Fantastic, fantastic! Yeah, all the be- all the much. best. Thank you, Mike. Thank you very much. Thank you, Dan. Bye now. Okay, thanks for listening to this is personal rewinding a life. If you like today's show, please subscribe, leave a review, and share it with your friends. All of that would be greatly appreciated. You can find me at DanSimon.co. On Instagram, Dan Simon TV, or Twitter at Dan Simon TV. Thanks for listening to the show today. New show will be out on Monday. Have a great week.